When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Rest is Football with me, Gary Lineker, Alan Shearer and soon to be, shall we say, Micah Richards um, because things are a little bit different today but that's the beauty of podcasts. You can do what you want. Micah is away working in the US this week and he's obviously therefore on a well, different time zone to the rest of us so he is going to be joining me for the second half of the show but Alan's got to disappear for something else but you know we make these things happen regardless. That's the magic. I've got Alan with me now though and um, we're going to be answering the best of your questions uh, throughout today's episodes. But, Alan, this is the day after the night before because we're recording this on on a Wednesday. I think it's safe to say that Newcastle were robbed last night, Al. I mean, you went very quiet on our our group chat apart from one endless (laughs) rant um, with good reason, I think. Gaz, you know I like a little good swear now and again. (laughs) (laughs) That was an absolute fucking disgrace. That's as polite as I can be. I have to agree with you. I mean, I can't work out quite how how anyone could see that it was a penalty. It quite clearly came off his leg first, flicked his elbow. And it was almost as though maybe because it was right at the end of the game, they'd been getting a lot of stick from the, the supporters in Paris um, and whether they were influenced in, in that, I, I don't know. But I understand though, um, Alan, you've, you've been in touch with UEFA this morning. Yeah, I spoke to uh, I spoke to them this morning, and to be fair, to th- they were as uh, angry as what we were. They were disappointed as what we were in the decision, and they'd said that the referee and the VAR knew straight away after the game they'd made a huge error and they would no longer be involved in the games this evening or in the next round of the uh, games, which are in two weeks' time. They'll be off those games as well. So, um, But they won't be commenting, um, and it was okay for me to say that, so that's uh, that's fine. But um, I think that tells you how bad a decision it was for, um, for them to do that straight away. I mean, honestly, up until then, I thought the referee was having a really good game, and I get it, it was a really hostile atmosphere. He could have possibly given a penalty 20 minutes. I think they might have got... If they'd, if he'd have given it, they certainly wouldn't have turned it over. But, mm. you know, but you could argue that. But he was he was standing up and making the right decisions, as he did, you know, confidently in, in the World Cup final. And then, what was it, 98 minutes? And... But this is what angers everyone, right? Is that you've got an, one of the best referees there is... You've got the best VAR, you've got the team that worked in the World Cup final who obviously can handle pressure, can handle hostile atmospheres. And you've also got an assistant VAR, as we know. So it's gone through three of the best people. So the VAR has then said, okay, you need to come and have a look at this. Then for the referee to say, yeah, you know what, I've made an absolute howler there. That's a clear penalty. I got it completely wrong. I mean, it is just, it is staggering that these experienced 
so-called great officials can it can go through three people and they still all get it wrong. I get human error, I get all that, and it would have been easier if it was just one referee to make that mistake and then the on-field and you don't look at VAR and you say, okay, everyone makes mistakes. But for it to go through two or three people of that standard and they all still come to the same conclusion, it baffles me. And everyone knows that they've got it wrong and they've messed up, but how can three get it wrong? What I found particularly baffling, I think, is is this constant thing when referees are now sent to the monitors and they always, bar the very, very occasional example, always go with what VAR said. It's almost like they're putting the words into their head. By the time they get there, they sh- and then obviously he, the guy at the other end is going, yes, he's got it. Look, look, his arm's in the funny position. Whatever he's saying to him, we don't know because um, we, we don't share that um, conversation on the field, which is another problem I think with with VAR and and the problem also of course is that everyone agrees that was a mistake and the referees are being punished and stuff yeah. but but the ramifications for Newcastle it doesn't help you know they've, they've now got in a position where they would have been strong favourites to qualify to being pretty much rank outsiders to qualify I mean that's yeah. the difference isn't it I mean huge oh I mean absolutely the ramifications are are, are, are incredible financially for the players, the players and staff work their nuts off last season to get into this position. They've been put in a really, really difficult group, which is a great group for uh, for the fans and for the for the football club. They've done unbelievably well to get in that position, and then to to find themselves now in the position that's out of their hands. So it might not be enough to win against Milan in, in two weeks' time to get them through to the next round. I mean, you're talking millions and millions of pounds on players' careers here that for for three people, basically, for a VAR assistant, for the VAR, and then for the referee, for all of them to make that huge error is just not acceptable. No, it, 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 it's staggering, really. It, it's it's yeah. funny, though. I, I saw a few posts... Um, this morning on social media and one of them was from a journalist I, I, I really he's a brilliant writer actually but he, he said oh for crying out loud PSG had an XG of something like 4.8 and mm-hmm. everyone's going on about this decision I'm thinking well hang on a minute that's this is football <laughs> it's not really for um, I don't think the people in the referee and VAR to reward PSG for missing chances <laughs> <laughs> when I press send on my uh, on my tweet last night I just pressed <laughs> and then I didn't look again until, uh, until later on <laughs> about 12 hours later because I know you know what's happening as soon as you go with rival clubs and yeah. fans and what have you you expect to get criticised but that's the nature of the beast but everyone will accept it I mean it was a huge error it was, and it was a, I mean it was a disgraceful decision that they made last night it was terrible it's not only a huge error but it's doing the absolute opposite of what VR is supposed to do so VR is there to spot obviously Howlers, huge yeah. errors, whatever you want to call yeah. it. But in this case, they did the opposite. The referee had got it right, and yeah. then they made the huge howler. Maybe the answer to this, Alan, maybe the answer to VAR is to then have another VAR <laughs> <laughs> that looks at the VAR oh who's already looked oh. at the referee's decision. I mean, where does it end? It's, it's, I can understand why I think huge numbers of people have come to the position now where they they just would like to can it and I think particularly fans in in the stadium but it ain't gonna happen we 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 discuss and the referees of this and that and everything else but 
let's look at it in a, in a way where they are actually being put in a really, really difficult position, the referees, because the lawmakers who are not the referees, who maybe they are, are the ex-referees and who are, who are in charge, who we know about, they're making it impossible for these guys to make decisions with the fucking handball law. How long have we been saying the handball law yeah. is a complete and utter shambles? They have gone around the houses, left, right, straight, trying to find all these different things about proximity, um, natural, unnatural. <laughs> they have made such a mess of that whole law that they're making it really, really difficult. In fact, they're making it impossible for some of these referees to make the correct decision. And I think what happens then, it gets so complicated that Absolutely. by the time the referee suddenly has to deal, and they're going, oh, which clause is this one under? I mean, if no. you actually re I mean, read the handball law, which I've done many times now, as, as we all have, it's... <laughs> Pages of the stuff, but that, but that's even worse because they had a they had a review of of the handball law did UEFA back in April or May and yeah. said if it hits another part of your body yeah. and deflects up onto your arm then it shouldn't be a penalty. I mean, how clear was that? If that if that's <laughs> not as clear as you're going to get last night to say you can't award a penalty for that. He actually there was one earlier in the game where it hit Lewis Miley's arm yes. and it was almost identical. And he said, no, not, uh, it, yeah. no, no penalty, sticking with his decision. It wasn't a penalty, I want to say first, but that was yeah. closer to being a penalty than the one in the yeah. final minute, that's for sure, because yeah. it didn't strike Absolutely. another body part before he got him. But it's, it's, it's frustrating and hopefully we'll he just crumbled. go. Yeah, he did. It's a good job you didn't come to me to do it last night after the game because you would have got a few more Fs and Bs and Cs and everything. <laughs> I was that angry. <laughs> I, I sort of wish we had uh, in some ways. Let's change the subject um, to getting um, a few of the questions in. And, and I think a lot of people's questions would have been along those lines this morning. Um, anyway... Right, let's start with Jack Warren. Uh, as a Leeds fan, Alan used to love playing us because he'd score against us all the time. I think Alan's mentioned that once or twice. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> was there a certain club you guys enjoyed playing against, whether it be because you always played well or enjoyed the atmosphere or occasion? Love the podcast. Uh, best in the game. Keep it up. Well, very kind. Thank you very much, Jack. I uh, obviously Leeds is one, but I I always used to love going to uh, going to Anfield as well because I loved the ground. I think I loved the atmosphere and I loved I don't know maybe I'm wrong but I always felt you got a little bit more respect as a player if you were a half decent player you got a little bit more respect at Anfield than you did in, in a lot of grounds um, I mean they're always a very they're an incredible football club but very rarely did you come away from Anfield with anything but I always I always enjoyed it just because it's got a special atmosphere Yeah I wouldn't argue with that I love going to Anfield um, particularly mm. at, when I was at Everton and I was going to say, yeah. Did you score a few there? Times? We won two 0 there. I'd, I'd scored in that game. A little dink over Grobelor as he came out, and it was it was joy, it was a joyous moment. But I'd actually, funnily enough, I think you do look forward to going to grounds where you've had a bit of joy and a bit of success. And mine was actually Selhurst Park, um, right? And not just against Crystal Palace. I scored there against three different teams. I scored against Charlton when they played there for a little while. 
and I also scored against Wimbledon when they were. In fact, I got four in that game. So um, I think I also scored an overhead kick at, at Sellers Park way back when, if my memory serves me rightly. Really? Uh, yeah, not not like Garnachos. Uh, probably close in and just a little boom, scoopy back thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was a, it was a happy hunting ground. So yeah, no, Sellers Park for me. You were delighted when Wimbledon moved there, then, weren't you? When when two or three teams were going to play know, there? I know. I remember. Yeah. I remember walking back to the halfway line, having scored my fourth goal. You know that old Wimbledon, they're horrible, that lot. And they wish yeah, get in the mixer. Yeah, we're going, yeah. We're going to, you don't like it. Either. And I, I remember, <laughs> I got, I, I, for some ex- inexplicable reason, I got brave after I'd scored the fourth goal and said, Where, where's your fucking mixer now, boys? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Love it. And then I ran down the dressing room at the end of the game. <laughs> I was going to see it, yeah. <laughs> get out of the way um, oh, I've got one from someone called So Many Giraffes which is a fabulous name um, <laughs> he's not going to stick his neck out is he um, <laughs> sorry oh, oh dear uh, with the football calendar getting busier and players moaning about playing too much football do you think they will get rid of the league cup um, personally I wouldn't but I would like to see the championship league one and league two clubs playing in it and no premier league clubs which is an interesting idea um, I think I think there's already um, competitions for clubs outside the Premier League. I mean, they've, they've lost it in one or two other countries. In, in Spain, they have one cup competition. I'd certainly drop the two-legged semi-finals. I don't think there's... Uh, th- th- if you've got one of the big teams and you invariably have it, that the last thing they need is two more games in midweek when they're competing, possibly in the Champions League. But I don't know. It's, it's also a chance, though, for, for teams to win a trophy perhaps it might even be Newcastle this season Alan and if that wasn't there what do you think? No I'm I wouldn't get rid of it at all I would uh, I would keep it um, and I'd be, do exactly the same as you I think we accept and understand that it's the fourth choice of the bigger clubs who are in Europe and got the league and got the FA Cup and, and everything else um, but it's also a chance you know for, for the bigger clubs to play their squad and I, I think that's really important but yeah no two-legged Ties semi final, um, but I would, I would, I would without doubt keep it. I mean, Newcastle last year had a great run, got all the way to the final and got done in the final. Um, I mean, already played Man City and Man United this year and got Chelsea in the next round. So, no, I, I, I quite like that competition. Now I'm sure smaller clubs do as well. So I'd, I'd keep it. What do you think about? the fact that it looks like sin bins are coming in and um, IFAB have, have approved it and it might start. It's yet another one, isn't it? I can see you wincing there and grimacing I as I ask you uh, that question. Is that the same guys that make the laws for the handball? IFAB, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> sin bins, oh. Look, I know that I know the world has to go forward, and I know we've got to change, and we've got to move into all of this new technology and everything else. But sometimes things don't have to be touched, you know, mm. because they they work. Yeah, I mean they've they've already got punishments available: yellow card, which you can upgrade to a red if if players get verbal. I think it's going to be maybe they're trying to stop that, but they've got those. You know, they've got that power anyway, but they don't use it as often they should, I think, if they're being verbally abused. I think they cited one example that would have been perfect for the Simbin. And they said, can you remember in the European um, Championship final at Wembley, England, Italy, and they they used the argument when, I think it was Saka going clear and Chiellini grabbed him and pulled him down. 
And they said that would have been a perfect time. They were talking about things like the little professional fouls, stuff like that. And you get 10 minutes in a sim bin. But does that not then make one team just go really negative and sit all behind the ball? And I don't know. There's no doubt about that's what they'll do. If they go down to 10 men, they, they would sit behind the ball for uh, for 10 minutes. Off the top of my head, with, with, with just thinking about it and thinking of that all goes with it then. I'm happy with yellow and reds. You've got enough opportunity. If you are a yellow, you know that you run the risk of getting a red. Um, but sin bins, mm, off the top of my head, I'm not sure. No. No. Colin Beam. Last question. Last question um, before we take the halftime break and then I'll, I'll start again with uh, Micah. Uh, this one's for Mr. Shearer. And he's got in brackets, Shearer, Shearer, <laughs> Shearer. <laughs> if you were playing during the Ashley era, would you have stayed at Newcastle or looked for an exit? Well, you managed under him, but I suppose with, with um, hindsight, you might you might make a different decision. Well, it depends because if you remember, I think I'm right in saying Alan Pardew, when he was manager, got Newcastle up to fifth, I think it was. So, although the vast majority of it wasn't good, there were the odd good moments, but no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have liked to have been at a football club, even with it was Newcastle, that was going to be fighting relegation every single year. I know that during my uh, during my time that we were in one probably one year, but most of the time or a lot of the time, then you, you're starting to challenge. And I mean, when Sir Bobby came in, when Kevin was there when I signed, and Kenny took over, getting to cup finals and etc. I think you've always got to have a little bit of hope that you're going to achieve something and do something. And I wouldn't have liked to have been in a relegation battle most seasons and on the odd occasion being relegated. So probably not. No. Well, I would say if you were playing Al, there's no way they'd have been in, in a relegation battle. But That's a very good point, actually. I didn't yeah. think of that. I was yeah. waiting for you to come in and say that. And well, there you go. <laughs> I'm, I'm always here for you, Al. I've got you back. I've got you back. Um, uh, let's take a break. And um, Alan, you take a longer break. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Welcome back to The Rest is Football and uh, welcome to Micah Richards. Um, Alan Shearer has disappeared into the sunset and uh, Micah, <laughs> great to have you with us. How's it all going down there in the States? Um, and may I say, your attire. Let me describe it. Um, obviously a t-shirt, but you have, how? Wh- what kind of hat would you call that? Uh, is it a fedora? Would you go fedora hat? I think it might be, but it, yeah. I have to say, you look a million dollars and very Miami Vice. Oh, of course, exactly. I've got the shades on, I've got the, the hat on as well. Absolutely loving it. I'm in Miami, Miami Beach. I'm here with uh, CBS covering the Champions League. And what a place this is. I, I came here about 10 years ago, but it's evolved. So many new restaurants, so many good looking people. <laughs> the people I. <laughs> Including yourself, may I say, on this occasion, Micah. Uh, But it's fabulous. It's absolutely fabulous. Yeah. How's the weather? I suppose it's beautiful, isn't it? We're here and actually it's not too bad today, but... Yeah, 26, 27 (laughs) degrees with a cool breeze at the evenings. Excellent. Couldn't ask for anything more, Gary. What a life you lead. (laughs) 
Um, let's start um, asking a number of questions, um, starting with Mahad Farah. Uh, great pod. Um, thanks, guys, and thank you. Uh, my question is, during your careers, what is the best game you played personally, but the team still lost? Thank you, guys. Keep up the good work. That is a, that is a very good question. It is. It's a very, it is. Because there's so many, there's so many you think you've had a good game, isn't there? Mm. And you think, oh, maybe I could have done this, maybe I could have done that. What about you, guys? I think I'd probably go the semi-final of the World Cup against Germany. <sighs> I think I had a decent day, scored a really good goal, scored my goal in the penalty shootout. And the team played great. We played really well against what was, you know, massive favourites in Germany in that World Cup. They were so strong. And then the devastation of of losing that particular game was, that was hard. That was hard. You? I would have to say one of the derbies, one of the derbies they actually played well in, it was at the... <laughs> <laughs> It was at the Etihad. We was down to, to 10 men. I think it was Vincent Company who got sent off. And I just became like this rock at the back. You know, when you see your captain, he needs someone to step up. Big Meek certainly stepped up. I was flying into challenges, marshalling the back line, organising. But we still lost. So, yeah. I'll go with that game. I've got one for you here, Micah, uh, specifically uh, from Leo Manish. Uh, to Micah, can you tell us about Aguero? How oh. was he in training as a person and how often um, did you talk to him? I think that's possibly because he, his English is not great, was it? I interviewed him once, but I did it in Spanish. Yeah, but this is the thing, Gary. Aguero was, he was lying. When they was asking him really? to do interviews, he was saying... <laughs> I don't speak English. He spoke <laughs> brilliant English. Knew exactly, really? He knew exactly what the slang terms were. He knew the, all, all the terminologies. Of course, speaking with your friends and having an interview is two mm. different things. But yep. he just played on that so much and he got away with it. Muggins like me, James Milner, Jolie Alesco, all the English lads had to do the media because... Kun just basically said, I don't speak no English. If you say I don't speak no English, that actually means you do speak English. So perhaps exactly, he wasn't like, exactly. just a double negative in there, Micah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But, um, as a player, it was it was strange because obviously you come from uh, Atletico Madrid and we had a pre-season sort of, you know, when you go and have a pre-season tour and everyone was talking about him, Aguero, this, that and the other. The first day in training, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, Aguero's here. He's going to show me something special. He's going to be the best player by far. I looked him in and training, I was like, what on God's earth have we signed here? His touch was baggy. <laughs> he, uh, he he couldn't hold up the ball. His shooting was wayward. And then he made his debut. Mm. Oh my God. So I've never seen a player. It was similar to Tevez where not so great in training, but in the game, the flicker switch and the turn into some something else and was one of the most incredible strikers I ever played with. It's interesting you should say that, Micah, because I was a bit like that. I needed to be motivated to, to perform. Um, and I think a lot of strikers are like that. So 
training, all I ever wanted to do was practice finishing. And most of the time you don't actually do that. You're playing five sides or working on shape and all this kind of stuff and possession and stuff. And it's boring. Um, and I wonder if Tevez and Aguero um, were on similar lines. And I think Alan as well. I mean, he talks about, you know, he's rubbish at long distance running and all that. But I think strikers, I think we're, we're a strange, curious, um, slightly selfish breed that are only really... <laughs> interested in knocking the ball uh, in the back of the net what about as a I think he means as well though what is he like as a as a fella good lad as 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 a fella he is and I, and I feel like I say this a lot about my old teammates like the the Nigel Dion's Jordan Lescott Milner Joe Hart Aguero Tevez Balotelli like they were all Gareth Barry all great people and what I mean by that is not just what you do in training or the banter you have in training, it's what you do outside. So Aguero would always make effort to come to dinner. He, he, he likes a few drinks. He's not, I mean, he's no David Silver when it comes to putting it away, <laughs> but he, he will have the, the, the odd drinks. He likes his cars, but he was so humble. It was so strange because normally when you have a player who is top level and the nice people, you can't sort of comprehend what's going on. You expect top players to be a little bit more arrogant. But he wasn't arrogant at all. He was almost just like too nice, which was strange to see. I don't think, I think most, I don't know whether it's, I don't know why, but I, I think most footballers are relatively humble, however successful they are, aren't they? Because I think it comes down to the fact that it's a team thing. The minute you get above your station, you, you're going to get whacked down, aren't you? In, in, in the group. So I think, I think by and large, most footballers um, don't big themselves up too much. I want to ask you a question, not, not from me. Um, of course, and, yeah. and it applies to me. How many players, and you, you, you move around in football and you, you go to different clubs, but how many players, and, and you're relatively newly retired, how many players do you actually really stay close friends with? That, again, a brilliant question because you always say once... You go your separate ways, keep in touch. You, you set up a group or, or whatnot. Mm. Then technology develops and then someone gets a new phone. And then before you know it, you've not spoke to that person for three or four years. And this is why I love the punditry so much because we sort of recreate the atmosphere that we had in the dressing room and you become a lot closer to people. But the only people I speak to probably every other day is Jolie and Lescott. James Milner and Joe Hart every now and then. And I thought it would be the whole team. I was really close with company and Nigel Dion and Balotelli. But everyone goes their separate ways. Yeah, you move on. I suppose it's like that in, in, in a lot of workplaces, particularly if you move around a, a little bit. There's usually perhaps, I think from my time, I mean, there's no one I'm kind of see all the time now, but there's two or three players that I uh, remain in contact who, with. Who would that be them players? I keep in touch with um, Mark Hughes over the years, who we played with in Barcelona. Peter Reid, I saw him for a drink recently um, from Everton. Kept in touch with Trevor Stephen also at Everton. Carrasco at um, Barcelona. Julio Alberto from Barcelona. That's um, amazing. Gazza, I get the odd phone call at bizarre times um, every month or so. Bless him. <laughs> um, so, yeah, one, a, a few players. But it, it's funny, in terms of being your close mates, it's 
it's not quite how it works, is it? Um, let's move on. Andy Warnock asks, um, don't know whether that's any relation to the other Warnock. Um, if and when Southgate packs it in as England manager, who do you think should replace him? Perhaps it isn't a relation of Neil Warnock and he wants us to say Neil Warnock. <laughs> <laughs> or Colin, as he's um, known by some people. <laughs> Uh, who do you think um, he should I mean the talk's been there's rumour mill isn't it about you know Pep Guardiola but I just can't envisage that happening could you no but we had this I conversation mean, amazing, but and we said should the England manager be English and yeah. I think I said probably not as long as you win it doesn't matter I would like to see Pep I mean if Pep could come in there with all this talent that we have and I feel like it's a little bit disrespectful because a lot of people ask me about this as well. And we've been big fans of Southgate. And when we say things, it's all, Pep should be the new manager. Southgate's not good. Enough. That's not, Southgate has been brilliant. Got to a final, yeah. got yeah. to a semi-final. But I just think in terms of elite coaches, if you could say, who would you want? I think Pep could just tweak us that little bit to get us over the line. Well, Pep's a coaching Genius, isn't it? There's no question. Even even last night's game, Mike, could come in. I mean, you just know, even at half time, you go, crikey, they're 2 0 down and they've, you know, made a couple of errors. And then they bounced back in, in the second half and he, he whatever he said and did at half time worked. I mean, he, he would be an amazing um, appointment. But um, they might, if England win the Euros, and it's a big if, but it's not. You know, they'll certainly be one of the favourites with the players that they've got. Um, and he wins the trophy, then he might want to pop at the World Cup. Who knows? Who knows? It would be nice. It would be yeah. nice. But it's always the hope that kills you. So let's uh, let's move on to the uh, next question from uh, Bakare Sheriff Dean. Wow. Uh, hey, guys. Wonderful podcast. Uh, thank you. Uh, what opposition player annoyed you most on the pitch? Ooh, again, there's some great questions today, isn't there? But I've said this before. Um, I've said Drogba, I've said Dempsey, um, Iron Robin. Not annoyed me in terms of what he said, but what, what he did with the ball, he wouldn't stay still. There's so many, but I have to say Drogba. I have to, I have to say Drogba yeah. because he, he was so strong. He was so aggressive. You touch him and he goes down too easy. And I always tell him when I see him, he's like, that's the game. You know, I'm playing the game. And I'm, he used to buy the, the fouls, get his big arms up. And then like, he would just like wink at me and say, I got, I got you this time. So I would have to say Jogba. What about you, guys? I'm going to throw one in here. Um, I only played against him a few times towards the end of my career. But my fucking God, was he annoying. And now I work with him. Can Ooh. you guess? <laughs> a certain Martin Keown, correct? <laughs> Honestly, I love Martin to bits now, and he's a he's a lovely guy. But my goodness me, playing against he'd pinch you, he'd like, like he'd pinch you in your side and stuff like. Honestly, and he'd be all over you, and he was aggressive, and 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 he's he, he was slightly insecure, and, and and still is to a degree, in in, in a very nice way. And I mean, he works hard at his job at the time. But um, Lee Dixon always t tells the story about the, I think they were playing in a game, and they were about two or three down after twenty minutes. <laughs> he said Dicko was on. He was playing right back. And Martin was like doing, his, and he he says he kept shouting now. He Dicko, Dicko he said. So in the end, I go what? And he goes, but note they're three 0 down. He goes, how am I doing? 
But it's it's mad though, Gary, because I worked with with Keon, and everyone who's who's heard me speak, you know, I grew up an Arsenal fan, and he was such a legend to me. So when I was working with him, I, was, yeah. I wouldn't say I was starstruck, but I was just yeah. amazed by his presence. And I worked with him on on match of the day, and we've done our analysis. We've been in the room for 10, 12 <laughs> hours. We've been in the room for 10, 12 hours, and we've got analysis. We know who's going doing what and what. So, just before we're about to go on air, it goes to me, who are you doing again? I'm like, mine, I've not got time to think about what you're thinking about. I need to think about what I'm doing. And he's just, he's, he's one of a kind. He's one of the sweetest, oh, really loveliest, but he's, he's also very intelligent as well. Very intelligent bloke. Yeah. I love working with Keon. It's great fun. Do you know what? In terms of playing against him, and he was a nightmare, and he'd kick you and he'd pinch you and all these kind of things. But you know that thing about the difference in someone's personality and character on the pitch to off it? I mean, he's absolutely chalk and cheese. But <laughs> something is. must happen to him when he, when he used to cross that white line. Um, I've no <laughs> idea what it was. Um, I've got one here from a, a Jack Holmes. Now, if that's... Um, I know a Jack Holmes. Um, my... my agents John Holmes and he's got a son called Jack who's a big Leicester fan so it could well be from him um, I heard it referenced a few times now and I uh, don't think it's intentional uh, but Steve Parrish mentioned it certainly when talking about people who think they can do your job do football people think fans are a pain in the ass, or is there general recognition of their worth in the game <laughs> be careful what you say here, Gary. Be careful. <laughs> no, but no, but there's an uh, there's an enormous recognition of their worth in the game because without fans, without support, without the atmosphere that they generate, the sport wouldn't be anything like as good as it is. Particularly, I would say, probably in terms of this country in the Premier League and the vitality inside the stadiums is is extraordinary. And players feed off that, don't they? Now, obviously, fans. You know, some fans know their football and some fans think they know the football and don't and then other fans have no idea about the football but they still enjoy going on as well but I don't I don't think um, footballers think derogatory towards the fans unless you're getting a load of shit from someone I guess no I, I think I think we we love the fans without the fans and that's why if you look at home results especially your home fans it gives you that that extra yard, the extra motivation to become the 12th person, you know, that you, you feed off that energy. Of course, when it gets negative, it can be be difficult. But what I've started to notice a little bit in, in punditry, so say a big decision's happened within a game. A lot of pundits now are going onto Twitter to see what the fans are saying and then saying what you think the fans want really? to hear, you know? Which, which, may well, I ask I which pundits, Mike? <laughs> I'm not naming no names. So it's it's funny because a lot of pundits want to go with the fans' opinion. And I've, I've been slaughtered a lot of times, but I try to be impartial. I try to be honest. I get loads of things wrong. Of course we do as pundits. But I think if you then start going down that way and trying to agree with everything it's not going to help you in in the long run you know but yeah it's mad the influence and not just fans and social media has on 
the way we're able to do our job, you know? I would agree. No, I think that, that's absolutely right. I mean, and I think cha- things have possibly changed a little bit with social media because the you know, amount of opinions you get before. You'd never get that when I started. You get, you know, snail mail and stuff, you know, things arriving in the post with a bit of green felt <laughs> pen when you from somebody that gets a bit upset. And yeah, and, and various other strange things that you get and when you know, thankfully now that kind of the mail thing has has, has disappeared almost which is which is good because you'd open envelopes back in the day with a degree of nervousness i i remember i used this is a bit gross but i used to get <laughs> used to get sackfuls of mail when i was you know, after my career and stuff and the first, early days of tv etc and i used to get one letter every week and I'd open it and it would be toilet paper with what you might think would be on it. Yeah. And I don't think it was anything to do with my Italian 90 um, accident, but every single month. And it was like so gross. In the end, I could work it out from the postmark that like it was from Bath and it was always the same ever. Someone in Bath who obviously didn't take enough baths. Um, <laughs> And it, and it, honestly, it was disgusting. In the end, I just used to, I knew which one it was and threw it away. So yeah, you, at least you know you can talk shit on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it, but you can't send it. <laughs> and on that note, we'll wipe our asses and move on. What you got for the rest of the day, Mike? Um, we've got the. Come on, make me feel sick. <laughs> yeah, we've got the Champions League. Um, but it's sort of like an event, so it's not just a usual Champions League. We get there a couple hours early. We get to integrate with the fans, have a few beers. There's a couple of light entertainment things as well. And I met, uh, I don't know if you're an NFL fan, but I'm sure H, the producer, is. Tyreek Hill, he plays for Miami Dolphins. He's nodding his He's, head. He's nodding his head. Yes, wide receiver. And we did uh, a segment on, um, and you know how footballers get paid a lot of money. He signed a deal for $140 million. And then we interviewed him. Is that the cheater you're talking about? The cheater, that's the one, Gary! <laughs> and if you think I came up with that, you're completely wrong. He's <laughs> <laughs> called the cheater, that's it. But it's weird how, because the difference between, say, broadcasting in England and broadcasting mm. in America, I would never come on. We do it on podcast and elaborate a little bit about the details, but I would never come on BBC and talk about how much money I earn. He was just there <laughs> talking about, yeah, well, I, I deserve it, you know. I'm, I'm it's one of the America. Best it's America. They di- they think things differently about me. I mean, obviously, they pay way much more money. And um, and and it's the American dream, isn't it? Anyone can do it. And, and, wow. and when you when when you're wealthy here, you tend to get like whacked for it. Over there, <laughs> they actually give you a pat on the back. So it's it's a, a you know different philosophy. That's amazing. And then hopefully we've got an, another guest. Which they've not told us yet. Apparently, again, uh, big in Miami. So, yeah, looking forward to today. Oh, give my regards to Lionel Messi. Oh, baby. <laughs> uh, uh, great stuff, Micah. I and mean, you'll be back. In, you'll be back after that, won't you? Yeah, I'm flying man. back. I'm flying back tonight, and my road trip of 2023 is now finished. I'm home now Ooh. for the foreseeable. 
Great. Well, bring that hat home. Are you going to wear it on the show? Of course I'll wear it on the show. I wore another one uh, yesterday, yesterday's show, a new one Very today. Good. So all good. Well, that's it from um, this week's slightly unusual Q&A. And um, thanks very much for the questions that you keep sending in. Um, they were great as always. Uh, Micah, have fun. Goodbye from me. Goodbye from me.